Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. Today I'm excited to have Evgenia Prokhnikova, who's a general partner at Dawn. Evgenia leads uh, on investing in exceptional SaaS companies from early stage to pre-IPO. She's particularly passionate about data, automation, and cloud infrastructure. Her investments include Pryter, Taitaku, and Harbor, and Soldo. Uh, prior to Dawn, Evgenia spent multiple years in venture and private equity, including at Ottimico, uh, a pan-European VC, and TPG, San Francisco, private equity giant. Evgenia is a science pro and Wharton graduate. And a big thank you to Rafael Greco from Runaway Series podcast for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Evgenia. Thank you so much for having me, Rohit. Excited to speak to you today. Yeah, no, awesome. You, you know, uh, big congratulations. You've been recently as a general partner at Tong Capital. Um, how did the entire journey, you know, uh, start? How did you get into this crazy world of venture capital? Absolutely. I have to say I did not uh, set out as a, as a child dreaming of being a venture capitalist. Uh, I would say that it, it, um, it, was, it was a series of, of career choices that, that led me here and, and I couldn't be happier. I actually, uh, I was born in a, in a very small city in the south of Russia. Um, neither of my parents have a university degree. Um, I didn't even dream of working in, in, in finance. And through sort of uh, my, my life, it just so happened that I ended up moving to France and the US, spent multiple, multiple years there. I originally started political science and I wanted to be a diplomat and I wanted to change things in the world. Um, and I think I very quickly realized that, that politics was a, uh, was a thorny area and change was difficult to affect. And so that led me to career in finance, um, where I felt the results of my work were a lot more concrete and the impact um, had a, a more immediate reaction, if, if you'd like. Now, my, my journey to investing started within the world of private equity. I have to say that when I started investing in Europe, venture capital as an asset class wasn't necessarily um, as, as well known yet. I think we have seen significant acceleration of uh, a lot of exciting uh, startups and second-time entrepreneurs here in Europe. But at the time, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't obvious. And so uh, private equity at the time felt like the, the golden route uh, of, of investing. I was delighted to spend time at TPG. That was a wonderful, uh, wonderful school. But in a way, um, you know, I, I, I quickly realized that investing in, in the future was a lot more exciting than buying some of the businesses of the past. A lot of my companies were being disrupted. Uh, a lot of them needed technology desperately to, to innovate and, and evolve. And so I, I figured I'm going to ride a wave that's hopefully bigger than mine um, and join the, the world of, of venture. Now, it started um, at Atomico, and then I've, I've been here with Dawn for the past um, few years, uh, focusing specifically on, on, on software. And I'm delighted to be, uh, to be on the earlier uh, earlier stage side. It's, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, no, super interesting because, you know, you've been part of um, Atomico and, and TPG Capital, you know, both in the private and uh, venture capital. You know, what were some of the biggest takeaways from working in, you know, both sides uh, of the world and uh, how did it yeah. help you to, you know, uh, get into, get into Dawn? 
Sure, no, absolutely. So I think, look, the, with, with TPG, um, I, uh, I used to, to, to invest in, in uh, businesses um, that sometimes were very much physical businesses, um, you know, consumer businesses, telco businesses. Uh, and, and, and I think it gives you a little bit of, of perspective of um, how some of those uh, businesses that are potential software buyers uh, that I interact with today uh, think and, and, and operate, um, you know, if you... If you invest in, in in a large insurance business, it gives you a little bit of a perspective. What kind of budgeting tool that might be using? Uh, what credit scoring tooling that they use? Um, so it gave me an insight into into some of those sort of day to day operations, which was um, in, invaluable. I think in a way, uh, the world of private equity is actually not necessarily that dissimilar to the world of venture. Uh, when you're on NP, you you still spend a significant amount of time thinking about the size of the opportunity, uh, the value chain of a specific industry, the product and the growth. It just so happens that you have other levers. You know, typically as a PE investor, you 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 can uh, use leverage to to maximize your returns because you you, you know you have a bit up, <laughs> unlike in a lot of early stage venture businesses, and um, you, you hope for, for multiple expansions over time. Now. Neither of those two uh, latter levers exist in the world of venture, but the first one is, is still very, uh, very similar. So I, I think sort of that still gave me that one-on-one foundation um, that I could continue applying even on the earlier stage. Um, it, it's, it's just a little bit more uh, focused on, on, on growth at that, that stage. Quite interesting. And, uh, you know, you've been part of uh, Dawn Capital for a couple of years. What, what is the thesis for Dawn Capital and are you sector and stage agnostic? Sure. Actually, quite 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 a few more years than that, actually. But you know what? It's it's funny with the, with with the, with the pandemic. It felt it feels both like a, a few years, but also a few decades. Uh, I feel like every day counts to three. Um, the focus of Dawn is is very specifically B two B software, um, and it has been for the past um, um, you know fifteen years since the firm started, and um, it we've been. F- and ashamedly focused on, on on one thing only. And I think it has given us um, an edge, deep networks um, for, for specifically B2B software. Now within this, we obviously touch on a lot of different verticals. We've done a lot of FinTech. We've had businesses like iZettle and Tink in our portfolio. Uh, we've done a lot of security with Mindcast is in the first fund and, and a few others. Uh, we do a lot in data and analytics and that continues to accelerate. Um, Calibra, Dataiku, you know, Quintexa, Fireball to just some of the few names that we've worked with. And then we're increasingly doing what people now call future work. Now we used to call work enablement, but there's a lot, a lot happening there and, and we closely look at automation. Um, regardless of the vertical that we pick, uh, it's always about uh, a strong element of software and, and, and B2B focus. All right. And uh, you know, what is what is ideally the right check size for, for Dawn Capital? Uh, to invest into all these stage companies? Sure. Um, so we, we say that we our flagship funds invest uh, in Series A and Series B. Now, to be honest with you, Rohit, I'm not even sure what those letters mean anymore. The world of ventures is, is moving and shifting so fast these days. I'd say what that means for us is that um, you have found a product market fit, which means a buyer understands um, the problem that they have. They can select uh, a specific vendor and they have shown a certain level of advocacy for that vendor. And then behind that, we can invest anywhere between you know, 10 to 30 million bucks uh, off the bat. Um, we've made exceptions on both ends. We'd rather 
you know, be part of an exciting journey than, than not. So we'll do everything we can to, to work with the most um, amazing entrepreneurs. Um, and then what we also can do is we, we run a series of, of other funds alongside our main fund, which means actually over time, and um, that has happened numerous times, we can invest more than 100 million in, in any given business. Um, so Dataiku is a great example where once we've invested, we actually continue to, to double down and invest. And most recently, we, we uh, heavily participated in, in their Series E. Um, so what, once, uh, one, once we backers of our breakout business, we'll, we'll continue there. All right. And, and now how, how do you look at portfolio construction? Uh, you talked about FinTech and SaaS, but, uh, but mm. how, how do you look about, uh, you know, focusing on a sector uh, when you're investing? Sure. No, that, that's a great question. Um, so historically and, and, and today, we, we try and find the right balance between um, backing businesses across sort of um, variety of areas of expertise that we know really well. Um, so we, we just feel that um, it's it sort of it's it sort of a, a bit of a family, right? So of course we, we only back software businesses. So you already have you know 40, 50 odd cousins that all gone through the same scaling pains, and um, we we encounter the same the same problems that we're delighted to help with. But in addition, you know if you if you back numerous businesses around the data value chain, for example, you start seeing certain. Uh, um, similarities and, and you can actually help them partner partner and cooperate. That being said, I think as a fund, you know, our number one priority is um, returns uh, to, to our investors, LPs that, that we're privileged to be backed by. And so we try and, and, and not be limited by things that we know and constantly look out for, for new sectors, new pockets of interest, new areas of, of innovation. And then obviously we'll, we'll try and kind of, um, given our focus on Series A and B, we'll try and get a mix of slightly earlier stage businesses and slightly later later stage businesses in the fund. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, it's just about fighting the, the businesses that, that will become the software titans of tomorrow. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, uh, choosing uh, industries and companies is, is always difficult. But um, how, how do you look at you know time allocation across your portfolio companies? Do you focus on those businesses which need a lot of support or is it focusing on those businesses which you believe could be the 100x baggers going forward? Rahid, it's like asking me who's my favorite child. That is a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all of them are favorite children. Look, I, I think the reality of it is um, we are quite a um, an approachable, friendly fund. I, I think sort of our, funnily enough, our, our internal culture, I think, reflects very much the way that we interact with our entrepreneurs, where it's very much down to earth, uh, very, um, very connected with each other. Uh, and so it's a little bit a la carte. Majority of the CEOs um, that I am privileged to work with, um, you know, obviously we're in Europe, so it's WhatsApp. But, you know, they, when they move to the U.S., maybe, maybe it's Telegram was a signal. We'll, we'll chat to each other quite often. Now, uh, in terms of um, uh, the, if you look at the whole year, obviously there'll be spikes where uh, a company might need more support than usually. And typically that's related to things like fundraising uh, where, you know, I think it's our our job and our role to 
to help the, the, the CEOs and the founders through, through that quite an intensive and, and challenging period. Or things like hiring, um, you know, at every stage of the journey of a, of a business, there's typically um, a, a candidate or profile that you probably deserve at, at that stage. And, and we consider it our job to always get you a little bit better than you deserve. Got it. And, uh, you, you know, you've also led and invested into a lot of uh, startups. How, how do you look at, you know, competitive analysis while evaluating an opportunity these days? Sure. Um, so look, I think if there is competition, that's a great thing. That means that the problem is real and that right. multiple uh, multiple teams and players have, have identified it as, as such. Um that doesn't doesn't necessarily scare us uh, scare us away. I think um, what's important when we assess um, competitors is, is that we'll we'll zoom in within a specific market. We'll we'll zoom into the value chain of that market, and we'll try and understand um, if the specific business that we're assessing um, versus versus the competitors is playing in the same part of the value chain or not. Are, are they in the thorniest, most most difficult part to solve? Are they in the one where uh, you can develop a, a genuine technology mode. Uh, is it an execution play? Um, those questions then become important in assessing um, the competitive intensity of, of a specific sector and whether we feel that the specific business or those specific founders are building something that, that's truly defensible. Now, the, the small asterisk to this, obviously, is that not every um, not every market is a winner-takes-it-all market. Um, obviously, as, as investors, we would always love to be backing the number one player. But it, it does happen that in a given sector, you might have multiple very large outcomes, and, and that's also all right. All right. And, uh, uh, you know, how do you look at evaluating uh, early stage startups mm-hmm. when, you know, the, the metrics uh, are not clear? And, you know, what, what metrics do you think are important for an early stage founder to show uh, yeah, at such an early stage? Sure. Um, and, you know, the, the things are, are always always evolving. Um, I think the way that we, we tend to look at it uh, at the very early stages um how much capital can the company actually take on and what is the budget and the business um, looking like in the next 12 to 18 months? I think when you invest in early stage, um, underwriting a five-year plan, uh, those like sticking your finger in the air and, and you know, hoping for the best, uh, in my experience, those never work. <laughs> and so I think for us, um, it, it is sort of uh, the, the number one question is like, okay, so what, what's the what's the budget for the eighteen months, and uh, based on the amount of money that you need to get there, what is a sensible dilution um, that this this company should should accept or or take? And then obviously we'll we'll sort of do a bit of a cross check of thinking, uh, you know, w- what this company could be valued at uh, once they uh, once they become. Um, the you know a publicly traded traded business, uh, and we'll we'll try to triangulate that versus where where, where they at. Um, multiples analysis is 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 common, but obviously when you come to very very early stage, uh, sometimes it, it, it's just not really not really meaningful. So we'll we'll have to think about the the, the first two elements I told you about. All right. And, uh, you know, there have been larger funds uh, like Tiger Global, SoftBank, and Anderson Horowitz, uh, where, uh, you know, uh, the 
the capital infusion into into startups mm-hmm. has has really accelerated in the last uh, year or so. Where do you see the future in venture funds? Um, and those are those are all friends of the firm. So like we're we're delighted um, to to have worked with um, some of those names that you have mentioned and delighted to share some some of those boards. And oh, look, the, the reality of it is that um, I, I think uh, it has become very apparent that technology per se is not an industry. You know, when I started when I started in banking. Um, years ago, uh, people used to talk about TMT as a sector, right? You know, t- t- technology, media, telecom. Um, now, now, I think it, it, it's just so far removed from the current reality where technology penetrates every single sector um, that you talk about. On the SaaS side of life, we're, we're continuing to see the fundamental shift of people adopting cloud, but also an arguably even more important shift of manual pen and paper processes being you know, shifting to, uh, to to software, that means the opportunity is, is only ever growing, right? Well, how, how large is SaaS sector itself? You know, probably in trillions. Um, that means that despite all the capital that's going into into the system, um, it, it's going into an increasing amount of innovation. And so, actually, I'm delighted to see that that's the case. Um, many years ago, uh, it was very challenging for for businesses to scale. Um, there used to be things like term sheets tied to specific goalposts and, and, and whatnot, right? And, and I think today we're, we're finally in a place where um, capital is, 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 is going to, to fund uh, very exciting businesses. And, you know, if you look at public markets, case in point of um, some exciting companies being, being created and, and it's all thanks to, to venture backing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, in, in the last year or so, you know, a lot of lot of uh, money has been converted into, into tech startups. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, on this compressed fundraising timeline for founders? Hmm. Um, in the timeline for, for the founders to, to fundraise or? Correct, for, for them to, to raise funds. Hmm. Well, I think it's becoming hopefully um, a little bit easier to, to, to raise funds. Um, you know, when there is more capital um, available, plus I think people got into habit now of doing a lot more um, con- virtual conferencing, you know, whether, whether it's Zoom or, or something else uh, okay. to, to fundraise. I think it does introduce an element of uh, democratization uh, in, in, in the ecosystem. Now I appreciate that it's not true yet for, for, for every founder or, or for every startup. But I think it, it 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 is progressively changing and hopefully making it more accessible. Now it, it also means that the, you're rightly pointing out that the timelines are compressing and the fundraising periods are a lot shorter than they used to be. Now that makes my job as a VC a hell of a lot harder. But you know we love we love a challenge here, Don. Um, and so what that means for us is that um, we try and be very proactive about the sectors that we like, um, and we try and to the extent possible, uh, make it so that when the when an interesting opportunity comes up and it's a quick process, um, we know the, the sector and the specific pocket of opportunity that that business operates in so that we can say with a certain degree of, of confidence that that's the right product, that's the right founding team, that's a great proposition that we want to be part of. Not always easy, but we try and do our best. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer 
and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, do you think uh, because, because of the COVID, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of startups uh, don't need to be in the, in, the, in the larger ecosystem, but do you think SaaS business and, and you know, enterprise companies can come out of larger ecosystem, uh, can, only, can come out of smaller ecosystem and, you know, from, uh, from remote settings as well? Yeah, no, look, absolutely. So the, the way that we are set up today is Don, actually. So we've, we typically invest in businesses that you know, started either either started in Europe or Israel or have a very significant presence. And uh, when they're sales businesses, you know, nine times out of 10, they will become global. And U.S. becomes a very big market opportunity for them. For some of our fintech businesses, um, they sometimes stay just pan-European and that's enough. Uh, you know, Izettle when when uh, when they got bought, um, and you know, it's a, a two two billion dollar acquisition. They were just Europe and Latin America, and so you can build a big enough business here. Now, what that means is that um, you, you can be you can be anywhere uh, w- when you start that business. The reality of it is that it will become global over time. Um, I think with COVID, it, that reality became even more true uh, if, 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 if that was impossible in the first place. Now, we always believe that there is no geographic monopoly of talent. Uh, we've, we've backed businesses um, in, you know, Klagenfurt in Austria, and it takes you two planes to get there. It takes you longer to get there than to New York from here. Um, so, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll back outstanding businesses wh- wherever they are across Europe. Uh, but I think invariably what, what we're seeing now is that uh, with pandemic, there is more and more remote first businesses or at least right. businesses that are more dispersed um, since day one, for sure. Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't capital, uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, female partners as well as, you know, uh, investors uh, in the female investors in the investment committee and there's a more diverse uh, group of people. What, what advice would you give to founders who want to, who should look at building a, a diverse culture uh, at, at, the, mm. at the start of their journey? Thank you so much for asking, Rahit. This is something that's truly dear dear to my heart. Um, so we're very lucky um, to, to be an extremely diverse firm and, and I put it to, to the working conditions that we've created, but also our culture. Uh, I hope that what it does is that it trickles down to more diverse um, companies that we work with. Um, I, I, I think it's um, I think it's a function of a number of things. So when when we hire individuals, we always look for the best possible person for the job. We, we try not to differentiate by origin or, or gender orientation of a specific person. What we do try and make a huge amount of effort on is that we try and make our hiring pipelines as diverse as possible um, because that truly gives you gives you choice. And we try and um, view everyone in that pipeline in the same exact uh, manner, which um, uh, which you know, sometimes, sometimes is a challenge, but is, is certainly a possibility. And then once people, um, once people become part, part of Dawn, uh, we spend a lot of time on making sure that um, certain conditions are, um, are um, favorable for people to progress in, in, in their career. We're an incredibly meritocratic organization where actually we, we support for general partners, two out of, uh, out of four 
um, have started as juniors in the firm, including myself, and have now progressed. Just kind of having that is is incredibly important. Uh, and then we have a lot of policies for, you know, I'll, I'll speak for myself and, and one degree of diversity, which is gender. Uh, we we cover things like fertility testing. We have an incredibly generous parental leave for both men and women. Uh, we offer egg freezing and, and a number of other things that allows people to hopefully have uh, a lot of different choices and make their uh, work as easy as, as, as possible. Um, so definitely something we care about a lot. Right. And, um, uh, you know, what, what advice would you give to founders on, on approaching the talent market, uh, obviously become remote first, but uh, they also are competing with, uh, with everyone in, in the market. Uh, what, what advice would you give to them to, uh, to get the best of talent today? The best of talent. Um, do you know what? Talent is, is such a thorny issue um, and uh, always is at whatever, whatever stage you, you, you add. That in fact we actually created an internal talent function and we're continuing to kind of bulk it because we realize it's it's, it's such a um, su- such a big um, a big problem. So not a big problem. It's basically more more of a challenge that that, that people should be solving. Um, so I think the, the number one advice is um, try try and sort of um, think of hiring people that know better than you when you're the CEO. Um, I think hiring is. Is, is humbles you hopefully when when you meet individuals that are true experts in sales marketing customer success whatever area you're, you're hiring for uh, in fact this is probably one of the num- one of the most important cha- things we judge people on in our CEOs and founders is the ability to bring in people that are better than them uh, in, in every individual uh, individual function so it, it's important it's important to, to remember if you feel that the candidate is knows more than you and challenges you. That's probably the right the right hire. Um, I think the second one is um, in this remote world is is perhaps um, realizing that uh, all of a sudden the talent pool got got bigger. Um, there are people that are now willing to to move to new places um, uh, and and uh, or people that are willing to to work remotely. So kind of considering uh, considering those options uh, becomes also a, a possibility, and that wasn't necessarily. Uh, true before and also perhaps recognizing that um, when as you grow your business will evolve and so it's not uncommon that uh, the person that started with you when you were generating a million in run rate is is not the same person when you're in a hundred and so knowing that there will be an evolution and that it will involve multiple steps from a to z um, and being conscious of that is 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 also probably um, a thing to remember all right, and um, uh, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Oh, um, it's actually related to hiring, um, and and I would uh, I would recommend it. It's a book called Who, um, and we actually uh, bought it for everyone in the office. Uh, it's called uh, Who: The A Method for Hiring uh, by Jeff Smart and, and Randy Street, uh, a handy guide to have in your back pocket. All right, we'll put that in the show notes and. Um, you know, if you could go back in time when you started your venture capital career, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Um, it's actually, I think, a piece of advice I'd give anyone, whatever their job is, whether venture capital on or not. I think uh, in, in, in the feedback culture of the corporate world of today, a lot of us focus on areas of improvement, on, on you know, how we can do better. And I think it's important to know those things about yourself, it's important to start to improve. It's equally as important to actually find people around you 
who can fill some of those gaps that you have on, on a team. I think one thing that um, people are not necessarily as aware of is their superpowers. Um, so appreciating and knowing what your superpower is, um, is, is kind of what makes you special. So I wish I could go back to myself many, many moons ago and say, hey, like those are the three superpowers you have in Kenya. Um, do not forget that. Obviously, you know, work on your areas of improvement, but don't forget to continue to develop and build on those because that's what makes you special. No, absolutely clear advice. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, a Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, so I am a very happy user, Superhuman. So thank you so much for 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 that for the, for, for that gift. Uh, I am still on the lookout for a perfect calendar tool. I live and die by my calendar. I am obsessed with it. Um, from you know color coding to to a variety of other hacks I found around. Uh, it is far from perfect. So I'm waiting for someone to create a perfect calendar that works. <laughs> Got it. And, uh, you know, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Home Capital? Sure. Uh, email. Uh, I try I try and respond to every email I get. So there's obvious emails that sometimes a little bit harder to respond to when, when people, um, um, you know, haven't, haven't quite read what, what we invest in. Um, so again, you know, B2B software, Series A onwards, uh, we invest all across Europe, uh, but we hope our businesses become global. Um, so yeah, email is probably the best, but I'm also on Twitter. So it's um, at Fplot um, on, on Twitter. So happy to get in touch there too. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Kenya, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you so much, Rahid. It was real fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.